If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it up to the book of John, chapter 11. John, chapter 11. You may be very familiar with this passage, and you probably are. And you may be wondering, you know, isn't this a Easter message? This is, of course, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Now, I want you to say it, be very clear, sure, it is an Easter message, and it's a Christmas message, and it's a next week message, and it's just a gospel message. And the coming of Christ, when we talk about Advent, and we we talk about him coming into this world to save sinners, and we talk about him coming again to make all things new. That, that's an every day, every week, wonderful message. The most relevant message in all of the world, the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Christ. But we end up here in, in John 11 uh, this week because not only do I believe it, it, I really do believe it's the best thing I could possibly bring to you this morning, but also just as a, as a pastor, I feel like it's necessary right now because of uh, situations or circumstances within our church body. And, and, and so uh, what I want to say to you is this, it, it, you know, Christmas time, it, it is said to be what the, the most wonderful time of the year. And for me, I understand this, like I, I you know, I embrace the Southern culture of Christmas and love it. Okay, so all of the things, like we're gonna talk about the gospel message, the the reason for the season, we're gonna talk about it, okay? But like just even the, just the cultural sense of what Christmas looks like and is, like I I eat it up. Literally, I eat it up. I enjoy the food, Uh, eat more than what I ought to and that's why I'm wearing this vest today. It covers up what you can't see. So it's, it's a, you should try that, man. Uh, but I, I love the food. I enjoy family time and friend hangouts and parties and Christmas movies and decorating and going to look at lights and all of the things, you know, that, that you do. And, you know, which make up, I, I think, what is in that song. It's the most wonderful time of the year because of wonderful moments and because of wonderful memories. But I'm very aware as a human and I'm very aware as a Christian and I'm very aware as a pastor that in the midst of these wonderful moments and in the midst of uh, the wonderful season, there's also someone else's pain. And so I think about, you know, in the midst of someone's happiness is someone else's heartbreak. In the midst of someone else's gathering and family times and friend hangouts is someone else's loneliness. In the midst of someone else receiving, someone else is left unable to give. Listen, What I wanna say to you is this, is that all of us live, it doesn't matter which Christmas it is, it doesn't matter when it's been, if you've been alive on this earth, you live under the shadow. You live under the shadow. Isaiah 9 is one of my favorite Advent passages and what 
what the Lord says to us through Isaiah 9 verse 2 is the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And, and that deep darkness can be translated in death's shadow, in the shadow of death. And the reality is this, is that for all of us, we live in the happiest of times or in the saddest of times, we live under the shadow of death. We have darkness, we've said, uh, around us, before us, behind us, and even darkness inside us. And what I wanna do this morning is take you to a passage, take you to John 11, so that you can see what your heart needs to see and what mine needs to see, and it's what Christmas has to do with the shadow. What the advents of Christ, the coming of Christ and his coming again says to us about the reality of suffering and death. I see uh, Amy and Ken, the, the A-Days, and this is uh, Dave and Kay Kitchen's uh, daughter and their family. And I just think about Dave this Christmas. Dave, last weekend... He, he thought he was having some chest issues or some heart problems and he goes into the you know, ER to, to deal with what was expecting to be a heart issue and he comes out of the hospital with stage four aggressive cancer. Has cancer all in his body. And the reality of that is this, is, is that the, the shadow was over Dave all last year, all of his life the shadows around all of us. But the thing is, is that sometimes the shadow is very close. And we might see it in somebody else's life, but it's different when you're the one that you experience the shadow yourself. And it's in that moment that we need to have something more than just wonderful memories. It's more in that time that we need to have something more then just you know, look forward to a wonderful season. We need a wonderful message of hope. We need a gospel. We need good news. We need to understand why Christ came and why he is coming again. And we need to see the reality of hope that we have even in the face of death itself, even in the shadow. John 11 does this beautifully. John gives us seven signs and seven I am statements. If you're a student of the book, it's wonderful. The I am statements are Christ telling us something about himself. Like he says, I am, you know, the bread of life. I am the light of the world. In the passage today, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Like here's something about me. And when we come to the Advent season, we need to understand who he is. Who was born and who's coming again? He tells us, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. We're gonna see that today. But also there are, in the book of John are these signs. And John tells us there were many other signs that weren't recorded in this book. In fact, there were so many things recorded, I mean, that he did that they could have written down that all the books in the world could not contain them. John tells us that. But he says that the signs that were given, they were given for a specific purpose. And it's so that we may believe that Jesus is the son of God and that in him we might have life. 
He says that his coming and these signs show us life. The I am statements teach us something about who Christ is, but the signs, they give us a picture. They show us something of what Christ has come to do. So I want you to look with me there at John 11 and also as you do that, open up your outline. And I want us first to notice in this, in this well-known story, I want us to notice Christ's nature in light of the shadow, in light of the shadow of death. Understand Christ's nature. I'll read the first few verses here in John 11. We're told that now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters, they sent to their friend, they they sent to uh, Jesus a message saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. I I want you to see first, I, I want us to see in Christ's nature, his sovereignty over the shadow, his sovereignty over it. And in that, maybe make a note and recognize that in this, we see that he is great. He is great. Jesus gets word uh, about his friend and and they were close. It's almost a mysterious friendship that, you know, how he had time to be so close to these three, but there's Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus and Jesus was very close to them. And he gets word that Lazarus is sick and he tells his, his disciples, it's a teaching moment for them, it's a teaching moment for us. He says, this illness that he has, it will not lead to death, but it's for the glory of God. And, and here, here's where I wanna speak right into your heart for just a second. If you're outside of the, or if you feel like you're outside of the shadow and you're pointing at other people that are in it, it's very easy for us to, to say something like, hey, this shadow is for the glory of God. It's for God's glory. This sickness, don't waste your sickness. Okay, this sickness is for the glory of God. But my friends, if you're in it, one of the most damaging things you can do is miss who Christ is and think your sickness is for his glory. This is not the kind of message that you wanna hear if you don't know who he is. If you don't know his nature, if you don't understand, if you only know that he's sovereign and you hear that your sickness or your wife's sickness or somebody close to you is for the glory of God, it can push you as far away from the Lord as you can get. But here, Jesus Christ shows us, oh, he, he's aware. He knows, he's sovereign. He's going to actually orchestrate this event. He knows very well that Lazarus is sick. We're told that Jesus finds out that he's sick or, or is told that he's sick, he already knows. He finds out from them And yet he takes a few days to get there. Now I want you to imagine if you you said, man, I've got to get this word to Jesus. I've got to tell him, you know, that my brother is sick and you get word to him and he goes, hey, before we go, we need to take a couple days off. 
I'm just going to hang out at the house for a little bit. If we can take it, you know, we'll take the weekend, then we'll head up there. That wouldn't make you feel very loved. It could make you feel very confused. The disciples were very pleased because they were very nervous about going anywhere with Jesus at this point because people were already trying to take his life. And so he said, oh, he, look, it's, it's not an illness that leads to death. He's good. Later, he's going to say, he, he's asleep. He's just going to go to sleep. And they go, okay, good. Well, if he's just asleep, we ain't going over there. But in the midst of this story, we see Jesus showing his sovereignty, his knowledge, his ability to look over the scene and go, yes, he is sick. This will not lead to death. In fact, what this is gonna do, it's gonna lead to the glory of God. We see his sovereignty over the shadow. But secondly, we we see something that I believe is shocking to us and we need to see so that we can embrace his sovereignty all the more. And it's not only do we see his sovereignty over the shadow and his greatness, but we see his tears in the midst of it. We see his goodness. I'm a huge C.S. Lewis fan. That is why my little baby boy is named Lewis. And uh, we, we love the Chronicles of Narnia series. And one of my favorite quotes in all of Narnia is there's a conversation going on with the beaver and you, you, would, you know this or you don't, so I'm sorry. But you'll, you'll get this though, is that we're talking about Aslan, the great lion. He's a Christ figure. And the question is uh, from Susan, one of the, one of the daughters, she, she says, I, I thought he was a man. He's a lion? Is he quite safe? Is, is he safe? The beaver said safe. Oh, he's not safe. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's not safe, but, but he's good. I see this passage and it throws me off so much and it helps bring us into this uh, world that our God can't be boxed in, you know, to a little gift box that we might put under the tree. And he can't be understood as, as though like we could understand our own feelings. We can't really understand the, diver- the diverse excellencies of who Christ is as a lion and a lamb, as fully God yet fully man. But here in this text, we see God uh, in Christ. We see him not only sovereign over the sickness, but we're gonna see him weep. He runs into Martha on the way and Martha says, Jesus, if, if you were here, if you would have been with my brother, he wouldn't have died because we get word that he is dead. He, he wouldn't have died. If you would have been there, he wouldn't have died. And, and Jesus says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, though he dies, yet he lives. Do you believe this? And she goes, yes, Jesus, I believe this. Okay. She runs off and she goes into the house where her uh, grieving sister Mary is and she goes in and it says secretly. So she goes in and she tells him, tells her, she says, he's coming, he's coming. Let's go meet him. Come on, come, 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 come. And she probably with her type A personality told her exactly what to say before she gets there. And and so they get to Jesus and Mary goes to him and she says exactly what Martha said. 
She says, if you would have been here, my brother Lazarus, he wouldn't have died. And she starts weeping. Jesus looks at her weeping and in the midst of the others that are weeping around, the Bible says that he wept. That Jesus Christ, sovereign over the shadow, he weeps in the midst of it. In church body, I I just want you to know, if you try to deal with suffering and understand suffering with only God's sovereignty, with only his greatness, and you miss his goodness, it's gonna really affect your heart. You might end up like Naomi. You remember her? Remember Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Don't call me sweetheart. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. Because I went away from this place full and I've come back empty because of what the Almighty has done. If he's only almighty, when we're in the midst of the shadow, we're gonna, we may crumble. We may miss his heart. But if we see his tears, if we know that he not only is great, but he's, he's good. If we see he's not only sovereign over the shadow, but he weeps in the midst of it. It's like the flood. Right before the Lord floods the earth, we're told that he was grieved. He's not apathetic towards pain. He's not apathetic towards sin. He entered into it. He's not only sovereign over the shadow, but but he has tears in the midst of it. Jesus Christ himself going to raise Lazarus from the dead weeps before the tomb. We'll see not only his sovereignty over it and his tears in the midst of it, but let's also see his anger in the face of it. Now, there are several interpretations of this and you're gonna be able to read very easily where I am on this. Ultimately, it will not change much, but I I do believe we can see something of God's heart and character in this and his nature. Look there in verse uh, 32, and we'll, we'll see some of what we've already talked about. It says, now when Mary came to where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and he was greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35 tells us Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying. Verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Now, I believe in this text, we see his sovereignty over the shadow, his tears in the midst of it, and also his anger in the face of it. 
when, when we're reading here and we see the, the description, it says he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. You should have a footnote there and most of you do. And if you look down at it, that can be translated indignation or anger. It, it's a, the, the same word that's used when, when Jesus hears his disciples you know, whining about, they're arguing about who's better than the other, who's the greatest. And Jesus becomes indignant. Well, it's that same word, it's an anger. And for the Lord, it's a sinless anger. But we're told that he's deeply moved. And so for for me, when I read that, I initially think, you know, he's moved to tears as I'm moved to tears more than what you would think. I actually cried yesterday watching a Disney Junior show. I'm not even kidding. But moved to tears. He, he, was, uh, he was deeply moved, but it says that he was angry. That also is not really confusing to me when I consider death. It is very normal for us to be moved to tears. It is very normal for us to, uh, to mourn, to grieve, and also to have a sense of anger. For us, that is oftentimes not sinless anger. It can be anger that leads to sin. For Jesus, this is righteous anger. And so like there in, in you know, the first time it says that I, I might could think it could mean something else or that's just an odd word that was used, but it's used again in verse 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again, he came to the tomb. There, there are some translators or some uh, people who interpret this anger as that he was angry at the people who were weeping that, you know, there were people that were paid to come and weep, okay, professional mourners. And some people believe that the reason why he was angry is because of hypocrisy in their weeping. I, I don't believe that's the case here. I think Jesus is a little bigger than that in, in this moment. And he comes to the situation and he's deeply moved and he's angered. And people are not saying, man, Jesus is mad at us. They're not saying that. They say, man, look how he loved him. Look at how he loved this family. Jesus deeply moved, he weeps, and then he goes to the tomb. And we're told, deeply moved again point is this, when we think of the shadow, when we walk in the midst of it, we must see that Jesus, that our God, he's sovereign over it. Like he can take what is meant for evil and work it for good. He has plans and purposes and nothing shocks him and we can trust him and we can trust his hand as he guides us. We, We can do that. He's sovereign. We also can see that he's good. We see his tears in in the midst of it as he weeps with us. He came and he lived and he died and he experienced grief. He died himself, he suffered. But I believe we also need to see that that Jesus despises. I wanna use the word and I'm going to, he hates death. There's this very odd I think Southern culture, I'm gonna throw it out there. Southern cultural deal with the shadow of death, with death itself, that we talk about it as if it's a friend and it's not. Death is no friend. 
Death is an enemy. We're told in 1 Corinthians 15 that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. We're told that Jesus Christ himself will swallow up death. It's a, it's, it's a, uh, death is not something that, that we should see as a friend. It's an enemy. And Jesus Christ goes into this tomb angry. And I believe he looks at it. I don't know if it's just the situation itself with, with Lazarus or if it's that he's looking through this tomb to the tomb where he will be in in a short period of time. And if he's thinking of the cup that he must drink to save sinners like you and me, I don't know if it's that he's seeing the bigger picture. It it really doesn't matter what it is that I think here. What matters is this, is Jesus goes into this tomb ready to defeat death itself. So my friends, if you walk in the midst of the shadow and you do and you will and you'll know it, Know that he's sovereign over it. He himself grieves with us in the midst of it. And he hates death. He hates it. Look with me not only at Christ's nature in the light of the shadow, but I want you to see Christ's work in the face of the shadow. What happens when he goes in? I've got a quick outline here. I'm gonna say it all together because it flows that way. And and just look at your outline there. We're gonna see that he's gonna enter in. He takes it on. He does defeat and he will destroy. We're talking about the shadow of death here. He enters in, he takes it on, he does defeat and he will destroy. He enters into this tomb and as he enters in, I believe it pictures for us what we are celebrating here today on Christmas Eve, the advent that he entered into this world. He came and he came for a purpose. He came to seek and save those who were lost. He came to save sinners. He came to defeat death. And when he goes into that tomb, he's showing us a beautiful picture of what he came to do. He enters in, but he doesn't just go in. He's not just good and has nothing to be able to do once he gets there. And he's not just almighty and he stands off idle, orchestrating what's to come. He's sovereignly, he's willing and he's able and he enters straight in to the tomb angry. And when he enters in, he takes it on. He takes on the shadow. In John 11, he goes and he raises his friend from the dead. Lazarus, come out. Lazarus comes out wrapped in the, you know, in the cloths. But as we read this, we see something more than the raising of one of Jesus' friends. We, we see something of what he himself came to do. That's to enter into this world and take on what we could not. Fully God, fully human Jesus, born into this world, walking the streets of the Palestine. He lives and he dies. He lives a perfect life and he dies in the place of sinners. He is laid in a tomb. Three days later, he rises from the grave, victorious over the shadow, 
victorious over sin and death. It's in his resurrection. And we hear Jesus, I am the resurrection and the life. It's in his resurrection. He defeats death. He defeats it. Death for the Christian has no power over us. It is true of us today that in Christ Jesus, we can say this, is, is that uh, it, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, and if we do believe, it is true of us that though we die, we shall live. He does defeat, he defeats death. The advent, the coming, born to die and dying to defeat. He rose from the grave, victorious over sin and death. But here's the thing, not only did he defeat, but one day he will destroy. One day he will destroy. He will come again. And in the Advent season, we look not only at the first Advent, but we look forward to the second Advent when he comes again to kill death itself. I want you to see, thirdly, not only Christ's nature in light of the shadow, not only Christ's work in the face of the shadow, but our hope today living in the shadow. We see there first that in Christ, even when I die, I will live. Even when I die, I will live. I, I, I feel, I'll be quick about this, but I feel like it's important to note this. Lazarus is a really good picture of something. La Lazarus is raised from the dead, but he dies again. Like, like he, he, still, he still died. He went right back to the shadow. <laughs> Like he was raised into the shadow again. Jesus Christ raised from the grave, no shadow. He raised from the grave with a body that he still has today, a resurrected body, which is very much like the one we will receive when Christ returns. A resurrected body, one that lives forever. And, and here's the reality for us in Christ that today, even if I die, I live. Amen. Like you take my life from this earth, I still live. I, I, I believe also, and I'll, I'll say this too, uh, and I'm sorry, this is very personal for the uh, A-Day family, but I, I, say, I say this in light of the situation with the kitchens, and I say this in light of those of you who suffer in this room. I also wanna remind you, God is sovereign and God is good, but he is not good because he heals you of your sickness. I, like if Dave is the 5% and Dave lives longer than they ever expect and the cancer is gone one day and he is walking once again, uh, cancer-free. I see Brenda right there. Brenda it was, was sick with cancer, now, now with healed of, uh, or in remission of her cancer. I, I just wanna point out, God's not good because Brenda is in remission. 
Brenda tastes his goodness and we see his goodness in her remission. God is good and we know it, not because he heals or because he does these things, but because he died for us. Jesus Christ is good and Jesus Christ is great. And we know this as we see him die in the place of sinners. See, in Christ, man, even if I die, and I will, even if I die, I live. One of my favorite texts on this is actually 2 Timothy. It's, it's a verse that I feel like never gets read. I don't read it enough. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse uh, 8 through 12. I'm gonna read it for you. Just listen to this, what it says about Christ and his coming in light of death. It says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in, in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And look what it says about him, who abolished death. Isn't that awesome? who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Like Christmas highlights for us God walking with us in this life and dying in our place and raising victorious over the thing that hangs over all of us. And it's death. Jesus victorious over it. See, in Christ, even when I die, I will live. But listen to the second thing that we have to get and we have to know it. It's secondly, that in Christ's return, in his second advent, death will die. There will be no more death. There will be no more death. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more evil. There will be no more tears or pain of any kind. I actually can't confirm there will be no more happy tears because I kind of hope there is, okay? But like, I can't confirm that. I know there will be no more sorrow. Like he removes it, he takes care of it. And so at the point that maybe we're in the shadow, we start thinking, does God care? The answer is yes. Look at his birth and his life and his death and his resurrection and his return. He's coming to answer all of the things that people say there are no answer for. Like how can evil exist in this world and God be good? Well, read the Bible, see it. Jesus enters in, he takes it on. He does defeat and he will destroy. He will destroy. In this Advent uh, season, I, I wanna end this message just by reading for you Revelation 21, one through five. This is, this is what he is doing. This is what he's bringing about. This is what will come when the second advent takes place. Musicians, if you want to, you can go ahead and be coming up. Verse 21, I mean, uh, chapter 21, verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, or look, 
The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he said, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. Father, we look to you as our great.